This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today might be one of the most interesting interviews that I've never heard. You know what? But you're going to love it. I'm telling you that right now. We got Jens von Bergman from mountainmath.ca and Joseph Damon from the UBC School of Architecture and Landscape Architecture and the Peter Wall Institute. That's right. Uh, And these guys developed the Vancouver Teardown Index. And they're talking about RS zoning, so single-family zoning, uh, all over Vancouver proper and looking at what's getting torn down, what has the most potential to get torn down. And they're also looking at a series of environmental questions and the environmental impact of tearing down all these houses. I I know who these guys are. They had really interesting pieces in the media over the last couple weeks. Most definitely. We've been to their site. They kind of chart the history of certain areas that have been subject to a lot of teardowns and now they're also looking at kind of the future areas that are potential and, teardown and sites we, and as well. we get into that in the interview yeah absolutely um but before we start the interview i mean we are getting the sense out there that the city is is reevaluating their stance on density and also reevaluating their stance on on um, heritage homes from the sounds of things. Yeah, I mean there is that housing restart. We talked to Francis Bula a couple weeks ago right. about it. Uh, our sense, and we talked about it before we went live, is that there's there's kind of a, a very strong push towards densification and and. I would say that Jens and Joseph are are part of that push in large part because and and they talk about the data they have 
and the ratios they're looking at. And Vancouver is way out of whack. Well, it's funny that you say that because I we've had so many clients that come here from other parts of the world, and the first thing that they say is, "Man, it's crazy how close houses are to the downtown well, core." Well, th- and this is Jens makes the point. Um, when we spoke to him, I mean, there's so much RS or single family zone right. lots in Vancouver. And I said, what about Hong Kong? He said, we can't talk about Hong Kong. We can't talk about Manhattan because it's insane to think of a single family home right. on the island of Manhattan. You know, I think this is part of this shift that's happening in Vancouver. And that's the thing. I mean, we always, whenever we look at a, a property and we evaluate it, we think about best possible use for that that lot right right and i mean you cannot honestly drive through most areas in vancouver and think that we are maximizing a lot's potential well especially with the affordability crisis and everything else yeah sure. and this is part of the project that jens and joseph are undertaking here the other aspect that they're actually and i think this is more of an academic Slant. element to to what they're doing is they're looking at tearing down homes and the uh, environmental impact of that. And actually, the verdict seems to be out on whether that's actually good practice or not in regards to the environment. Well, I wonder how that ties into previous episodes we've had that we've talked about it more environmental ways of building and not necessarily using natural resources, but there seem to be a lot of prefab construction coming to Vancouver and also different ways that the city's been managing waste disposal. So. Well, and I think if Jens and Joseph were here, they would say that a lot of what's going on, the economics of building in Vancouver is shaped by how expensive land is right. and how much of the value of any property is based on that land. Yeah, underneath. absolutely. Well, hey, drywall costs the same amount anywhere in the world, but if you put it in Vancouver proper, it's more expensive. And don't even try on the west side. Yeah, exactly. Without further ado, here's our interview. Enjoy, guys. Okay, well, today we're on site out at UBC at the Peter Wall Institute with Jens von Bergman and Joseph Damon, and these guys compiled the Vancouver Teardown Index. Uh, Adam couldn't be here, but we're gonna uh, we're gonna forge on without him. How you doing, guys? Great, great. Thanks for taking the time today. Well, thanks for uh, talking to us. Thank okay. You. All right. We usually start off just um, by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. Uh, Jens. All right. So, um, yeah, I moved to uh, UBC from Calgary about uh, six years ago. And um, I do uh, these days mostly uh, data analysis, data visualization. And um, so teardowns is something that uh, just got me interested pretty much since I moved here and uh, looked around a bit. Right. um, Yeah. Yeah. And I I moved to... uh to UBC to teach uh, around five years ago, a little more than five years ago now, from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I did my graduate work at MIT in architecture. And uh, my research looks at ways to bring sustainable materials into architecture, so looking at kind of novel materials um, that have the potential to engage us in a kind of brighter, more sustainable future in architecture. Right. And you guys are both immigrants to Canada? I know it sounds like you're you're from I'm, the northeast. Yeah, I'm from the yes, from the northeast United States. I grew up outside of Boston. And you're from Calgary? No, I'm from Germany, but um, I so I grew up in Germany and I'm an undergrad in Germany, then moved to the U.S. for graduate school, and um, 
then moved to Calgary and various places in the U.S. I was teaching for a while at university, and uh, now I'm not in university anymore. I just live on UBC campus. All right, okay. So maybe we'll start by just a, a very simple question uh, for our audience. Uh, what is the Vancouver Teardown Index? It's simply put uh, a probability of a single-family home that is in the RS zones, on so the single-family zones, to get torn down in the event that it gets sold. Okay. And it's just Vancouver proper, the map? It is or? just city of Vancouver, so Vancouver proper, and it is only about um, the single-family zones, so the RS zones. Yeah, the RS zones. Okay. And why, why did you guys compile this information? It's, it's, it's interesting data to have, uh, but what, what spurred it on? So I think probably most Vancouverites are familiar with the, the picture of single-family homes in particular being torn down to make way often for new single-family homes. Right. And it's a bit of a hot-button topic around um, not only housing, but um, particularly affordability uh, as well as sustainability. Right. So we were interested to try to get a better sense of why this was happening and what makes Vancouver unique and, and could we actually predict what would get torn down. And uh, as Jens mentions, what we found was that... Um, well, a few different things. It comes down to something uh, we call the relative building value, which is a proportion of the value of the building on the entire lot. Um, so the lower we are in relative building value, so the less of the overall value of the property is tied up in the building, the higher the likelihood is that it will be torn down. The other thing that we noticed is that um, property changing hands is nearly a, a you know a, a kind of precondition of teardown. So what we're not seeing are properties that are owned by somebody for a long time that gets torn down somewhere in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. Virtually all the properties we looked at are torn down within a few years of being transacted. Right. Yeah. That that makes sense. Mm. Um, and how did you go about compiling that data? Did it take a long time or? Well. We use two primary sources. One is, um, and that sort of got us started on down this road, is the City of Vancouver open data. So um, that opens a window into actually looking at, at data on things. It's a very easy, simple way. But uh, it has limitations. Um, there is uh, some of the questions that we were interested in just couldn't be answered with that data. Um, in particular, we don't know anything about transactions from the City of Vancouver data. So. Um, as UBC faculty, um, we have access here to, um, or Joe can get access to, the um, raw BC assessment data. Mm -hmm. So BC assessment shares that for research purposes with the university faculty. And uh, that opened up um, folding in transaction data. And um, so, so that made it possible to, to really um, get, get a good predictor for teardowns. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you speak a little bit to why the teardown index is is important and i and i have the i've kind of broken this down in terms of for public consumption why it's important why it's important for the city and the public uh and then i was wondering for scholarship and then also for yourselves because what's interesting and this is like we've spoken with tom davidoff in, in the past too and he's sort of a recent vancouverite that seems very engaged in in the city as it is and the future of the city and presumably you guys have an interest in that as well. So uh, maybe we'll start with the city and sort of for public consumption, why it's important. So I think that's a, a great question. Um, you know, uh, 
the city has changed a tremendous amount in the past couple decades. Just in the time I've been here, a little over five years, I've seen so much of the city reconstructed. Sure. Um, and in virtually every case, those new buildings going up were on the site of older buildings that existed before. Um, and so I think that as we try to get our heads around what the future of Vancouver will look like, we have a real opportunity here. Um, partly, um, you know, it, it touches a lot of different areas. Um, again, there's an affordability crisis going on in the city, and this is affected by that. It also affects it. Um, and then from a sustainability perspective, I think we have some really ambitious frameworks that are, are really, uh, you know, we, we want to kind of be leading in the area of sustainability around the world. And I think that there's a real opportunity here also because a lot of what we're replacing are older, poorly performing buildings and we're replacing them with newer, more efficient buildings. So since the step codes have been introduced in 2007, uh, it looks like the operating carbon of buildings have gone down close to 50% for new buildings over older ones. At the same time, we're not fully acknowledging yet the impact of the materials we're using to build these buildings. So we're really not looking at the entire equation. And so what we wanted to do is put a data story out there that first and foremost kind of really looks at in a systematic way what we're doing to our building stock because there's also a heritage question you know sure. we're, we're tear down a quarter of all single family homes in RS zoning uh, by 2030, um, between now and 2030, and it uh, goes up to 60% if we think about it from 85 to, to 2030, the period that we're looking at. And so that means we're erasing a big, a, a big swath of architectural history in the city. And so I think it touches questions of heritage as well. And so what we wanted to put out, given the, the kind of speed of these changes, was to stop for a moment, look at the data, and try to get a better handle on some of the different implications here. We don't have fixed answers to these questions, but what we want to do uh, by kind of putting this data out there and the, the story out of it is hopefully foster a kind of broader discussion about whether some of our current policies make sense because there's also a kind of, you know, the levers at the city that control this sort of thing are things like zoning. And, and I think it's probably most people would agree in Vancouver, it's time to reconsider some of the kind of assumptions about zoning. Uh, and so that hopefully will, will foster a kind of more fulsome discussion about that. Interesting. Uh, now, this is not a question that uh, <laughs> professors usually like to have. Uh, it's a fairly simplistic one, but uh, for and I know Joseph, you're you're sort of interested in the environmental side of things. Is the turnover that we're seeing in Vancouver? Do you see that as a net positive environmentally or or a negative? So that's it's a bit too soon to say. Uh, so I, I would say that um, the next step is to really look closely at what we might call energy use intensity. So how much energy per square meter per year is being used by the existing buildings. And that's going to vary based on when they were built. So typically older buildings consume more because they're less uh, effectively insulated and that sort of thing. Um, but in order to get a really good handle on that question, we have to have a good idea of what the embodied impacts of the materials we're using to build those buildings are. And then we can begin to make an assessment to see when those graphs cross, so to speak. So when the, the energy from operations, which in poorly constructed buildings is actually very dominant because they consume so much year over year. Um, as we construct better and better buildings, we can kind of drive down the slope of the energy consumed, and so it will be a longer payback for the amount of, you know, the, like basically the, the embodied impacts, uh, you know, are worth doing. But uh, we, we have to kind of look at that more closely to have a, a solid answer. But that's, uh, 
that right there is is a really important question to, to ask, and and we're just now starting to ask it because the city isn't yet, you know, we've just in this latest framework of zero emissions buildings begun to acknowledge as a city that maybe at least we ought to track it, but there are no kind of guidelines about, you know, um, you know the governing embodied impacts yet. Right. Do you see Vancouver, because, you know, Vancouver's, and like you said, in the in the last five years and, and in the last 25, 30 years, there's been huge changes. Uh, it's a much more dynamic city in that regard than a lot of other cities. Is it useful to kind of look at Vancouver then as a as a as a guide for other cities in North America and potentially beyond? I I think every city has its own quirks and and unique features. Uh, one thing that we do see in Vancouver is that the relative building values of single family homes are extremely low. So through the board, on average, the relative building, the average relative building value is, sits at 10%, the median at 7.5. Right. So, yeah, in San Francisco, you, you know, you get about 20%. So that's just as a comparable. Right. So um, the performance of these buildings in terms of their economic health is really low. So we see this all the time when we read the news stories and we see, like, uh, $6 million home gets torn down. Well, actually, no. It's maybe a $200,000 home on a $6 million lot that gets torn down. $200,000 home, though, it's a really nice home. Yeah. And um, people would love it if it were in Abbotsford. Yeah. But it's in the city of Vancouver. And so um, it, it's just a really hard thing to wrap your head around, I think, um, to, to understand these economics of it. Well, I was going to say this is we were saying on the on the drive over, uh, saying the Braden. You know, it reminds me of the Van City Buzz or Daily Hive. You know, these clickbait stories about the Point Grey home that gets torn down and how much it costs. And you're looking at what is essentially a very old teardown um, on a very expensive piece of property, and people don't seem to factor in um, the land value in in their outrage. Well, well, I think things I, have changed so fast in the city that I don't think really the public mind has has caught up. So the building stock certainly hasn't. Um, and um, quite frankly, um, in this environment, it's actually extremely hard to put a healthy building on a $2 million lot. So generally speaking, what, what does it mean, a healthy building? Typically, one would want that uh, two-thirds of the money that you pay is tied up in the house, and one-third goes toward the land. So this is sort of the rule of thumb that people usually go by. And for a $2 million lot, that would mean you'd have to put a $4 million building on top. Now, the only thing you're allowed to build is a single-family home, maybe with a basement suite and a laneway house. So now, okay, that's, that's incredibly hard to do. I mean, you can't really spend $4 million a on a 33-foot lot yeah. and to put a house on top. Well, it, um, it also addresses questions of affordability. So nobody would, nobody would density, suggest building right? a single-family home on the island, uh, island of Manhattan yeah. you know, because the land values just don't sustain that sort of use. And yet, in the face of, of radically rising land values here, we have zoning that requires, if you tear down a, a single-family home in RS zoning, that it be replaced with another single-family home. So it virtually the, the zoning virtually guarantees that we'll be far down on the relative building value, which is why, in some cases, we see houses that were built you know, less than a, a couple decades ago being torn down, because you just can't get on the right side of that curve. 
So we, you know, if, if two-thirds at the, at the time construction is completed, we want it to be two-thirds of the value. After you know, a few decades of depreciation, we'd maybe accept 50% in the land and 50% in the building. We're at, at between 7.5 and 10%. That's, that's I mean, it's, we're not even close. Yeah. And for new builds, it's about 38% yeah. is typically what new builds achieve. So that's actually fascinating. I've never really mm-hmm. thought about it from that from that angle before. And and so a few episodes back, we had Francis Bulon, who's a, a local journalist, and it's a uh, it was a really fantastic talk. She was saying that recently it seems like uh, the city is is signaling that they're going to move towards density. Presumably, when in the face of the data that you folks are compiling. Um, well, I know this is just another element to make the case. There, there's a lot of different, um, a lot of different data points and stories conspiring to to make that point. I think the city um, had their RS character retention trial balloon that they, uh, you know, that they um, nixed again. So it's not happening. The idea there was to um, basically take what they've done in RT and apply that to RS. That RT is a duplex zone, so right. that means. Um, blanketly downzone the entire area and you get um, some of the um, FSR, um, some of the um, building space that you could build back in case you uh, jump through certain hoops, which is um, you go through this character retention, which I don't know what the word retention means in that process. If you actually look how it plays out on the ground, sure. typically it means you leave a couple of um, studs. Yeah. <laughs> and you basically strip it down to the two the studs, and then you reapply, um, you know, move it around, pour a new uh, basement, so you don't really have any carbon savings there either. And um, and then you just build it with infill in the back, and w- which has led actually to some, some great, um, I think, great projects down in Mount Pleasant, but um, really didn't move uh, much anywhere else in the city. Right. But I think in a broader sense, just to follow up, uh, what some of the data does suggest is that if if a single family home is virtually impossible to get, you know, where we want to be in the relative building value and be anything like affordable um, as lot prices go up, it does point to the idea that multifamily housing would be a way to build a building whose overall value is actually much healthier relative to kind of, um, you know, its future so that it won't be torn down in, in a little bit of time. And we can build those buildings more efficiently. Um, we tend to get, because of the shared walls, they're, they're more efficient in operations. They're built generally to a higher standard because they're more sort of professionalized crews that build them. Mm-hmm. And and they actually um, can be more affordable because the, the units aren't, you know, single-family houses sitting on a lot, but but actually multifamily, ground-oriented housing. So it's it's not the only solution, but it does seem to point, you know, that type in particular it seems like it, it kind of answers a lot of these questions. Right. Another pointer in, in this equation is we can look at just how historically we've built houses in the city of Vancouver. And um, so we actually went in and we looked at the um, size of each building and also the FSR, which is uh, the floor space ratio. So it's what actually is regulated in the city code as to how big you could build. And uh, what we've seen is that um, if we look in maybe up to the 70s when people built houses, the actual size of the houses was fairly uniform. People build similar size houses, and uh, the FSR um, varied depending on the lot size. So and, and if you had a just big that's lot, a floor space ratio, that's right? That's the floor just, space yeah. ratio. So if you had a big lot, you didn't necessarily build a bigger house. You built a house to fit the people that lived there. Now things are very different. So if you look at it uh, for recent data, you see that what people do is they build the maximum allowable mm-hmm. wherever you go. 
So at some point, the city started to regulate this, to talk about monster homes. And these kind of regulations where you maximize and cap the, the FSR, they do kind of make sense if there's just a couple of people that go out of line that want to build these just completely out of line properties. But what happened over time is that everybody's building them. It's just the land economics dictated. You cannot afford not to build to the maximum. Right. Um, the resale value, you essentially, again, talking about teardowns, if you don't do that, if you build a house that just fits you, the next person will tear it down yeah. just because the relative building value will again be so low. So you cannot afford to do that. That money that you spend on building that house is a sunk cost. So um, when you look at this and you realize everybody's building up to the maximum, then maybe that tells you something. Just sort of, uh, we're, we're going to link to to the map uh, that you that you uh, folks have compiled. Um, but where do you see the biggest concentration of teardowns in Vancouver? Or where do you foresee? So yeah, th so that's really the question. Um, if we look historically, there are certain pockets. So if you, um, we have these animations that show how over time things got torn down. And you can see that there are some pockets, there are some areas on the west side, some areas on the southeast, where um, historically there have been a lot of teardowns. If you now project into the future, those are the areas where in the next 20 years we probably see fewer teardowns because they already have been torn down. Um, but overall, it seems fairly well distributed through the city. There aren't really areas where it's easy to say this is where things will get torn down a lot in the future or where things got torn down a lot in the past. That's interesting. Yeah, I had some guesses about that, but uh, <laughs> I don't think... The thing about the relative building value is it is relative, Yeah, uh, relative to the overall lot price, so what gets torn down in one place might be a keeper somewhere else. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, so, Joseph, can you talk a little bit more about the environmental implications? I'd, I'd be happy to, because this is really uh, a, an important topic for me uh, in particular. But I, I think that it's safe to say that replacing older buildings with newer ones will replace, well, sorry, will decrease operating emissions in the long run. The newer buildings are, are generally more efficient than what they're replacing. But to, in order to realize the kind of energy savings, the buildings need to be around long enough to make the reconstruction worthwhile. And then we need to consider the impacts of the construction materials themselves. So unless we can break the teardown cycle and build homes that stand the test of time, the emission regulations we're passing won't have the desired effect of effectively reducing overall impacts of, of our housing stock. And so I think that's where I hope that you know, people will kind of look at this and, and be able to take some of that away, and we'll be building out that side of the story in the, in the coming months as well. Fantastic. So it sounds like your guys' work is not done. Not yet. <laughs> All right. We, uh, we have a new – it's not as new as, uh, as it once was, but we have a, a last segment we've started here called the Five Wire. It's five rapid-fire questions. You guys, uh, you guys up for it? Sure. Ready. Okay. So – as recent uh, newcomers or to Vancouver, favorite area of Vancouver? Well, I, I love the West End, uh, where I've been living uh, pretty much since I got here. Oh, uh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just feel like Vancouver. Every area in Vancouver has its own little thing. I just love that place. That um, wherever you go, there's something that's better than anywhere else, and there are also things that are worse. So I can't really pinpoint a favorite one. Yeah. But you do live on the UBC campus. I live on UBC campus. Not a bad place to be. I think it's great. It's uh, pretty much the only place on the west side of Vancouver where you can live in a fairly recent condo off an arterial. So. Awesome. Favorite restaurant or bar? 
What's a pub on campus here, guys? <laughs> uh, on campus, it's looking pretty dim. Once you go off campus, there's a couple of places. It really depends what you feel like. But um, the food situation just around campus here is not optimal. Uh, so that You can go to Kingyo in the West End. Uh, Kingyo Izakaya, fantastic uh, press sushi Osaka style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rajo's on 10th is pretty good. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, first place you bring someone from out of town, and presumably both of you have visitors quite often you know often i actually go to the demonstration center at concord pacific uh, down on false Creek. really they have an amazing site model and yeah. they, uh you know you can actually get an overview of the entire city and then i kind of take them on a tour uh, through the city but it's, you know it's you a know, fantastic resource it's actually funny because mm. often i will uh you know right now they have avenue one that they're selling I often bring people that are potentially interested in pre-sales through that display mm-hmm. center to talk about Avenue One, but also just to you, utilize that resource. It's like a as helicopter well. tour of the city. I mean, exactly, it's like a, it's about and you a, can yeah, kind of proje- uh, show exactly what Concord's plans are in that's the future it. as well, and and where the city's moving. Yeah, it's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The seawall. Yeah, no brainer, right? And actually, I think you're the first person to say that. Yeah. Um, it's just, I just dropped down Marine from here, and it's just the seawall all the way. Just, I take them for a walk all the way to, yeah, however far they, they are willing to walk. Right, right. <laughs> uh, West Side Mansion or downtown Penthouse? <laughs> neither. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like almost every guest we've had has yeah. been neither. Yeah. <laughs> it's an impolitic question, I think. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> neither. All right. I, I definitely prefer a, uh, a newer functional condo to a teardown, if that is, if I take it down a notch, but yes. All right, guys, and, and last, tacos or burritos? You've saved the hardest one for last. That's actually a no-brainer, the, the tacos, tacos, yeah, corn here. tortillas, yeah. Tacos, eh? Yeah, tacos. Absolutely. You heard it here first, guys, and I'm sure everyone's glad they waited to the end for that one. Well, thanks so much. I know, Joseph, you have to run to, to go teach, but uh, really appreciate, Jens and Joseph, both your time. Super fascinating discussion. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So there you have it, folks. Uh, my discussion, I should say, with Jens von Bergman and Joseph Damon out at UBC this morning. Matt, that was one of the more interesting interviews we've had. And I think it really is a timely interview because there's a lot going on in the city that, you know, this is useful stuff. Yeah, you know what? The, the really exciting thing uh, about this podcast right now is there's a lot of people that are super, super intelligent that are using Vancouver as kind of a model to think about larger things. And so we get the best and the brightest, and we've had a lot of them on the podcast. Absolutely. So what's your biggest takeaway from this interview? I, it's hard to really pinpoint one. The the relative building value that these guys are talking about, this idea of what the building's worth compared to the land value and the percentages there, it, I, I really found that interesting that in Vancouver it's you know between – Uh, on average, 7.5% to 10%, whereas in San Francisco, even it's 20%. And in a city that hasn't seen kind of runaway prices like we've seen in Vancouver, it's kind of 60% for new builds in terms of uh, the value of the improvement or the building versus land value. So we are so out of whack, even in regards to San Francisco. And I think I mentioned in the intro, I mean, don't even talk about Hong Kong or Manhattan because it doesn't even make sense because they're so far beyond uh, us in terms of the way that density operates and, and zoning operates. So in this weird way, the the pricing has almost become a direct response to 
over-regulating, it sounds like. Yeah, and I don't know if I'd say that moving towards the Wild West is the way to go, but I think there is this... There, people are all talking about a housing reset for a reason, yep. and the rumblings are getting louder, and you know, we've been doing this close to a year and a half, the podcast talking to a lot of people with their finger on the pulse uh, in, in those circles, and, and it feels like it's getting louder and louder for sure. Yeah, so there is a shift from, from retaining heritage to increasing density. You heard it here first. <laughs> so Matt, but maybe before we, uh, before we leave for the day, um, one last thing I wanted to mention is check out our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Absolutely. Sign up for the VREP Livewire. Um, such a great thing to get in your inbox twice a month. Yeah, exactly. And uh, our website is just, uh, you know, if I do say so myself, it's a very useful resource. And uh, we love hearing all the comments. We love the feedback. Also, if you want to rate the podcast, we've had... We're at almost 100 five-star reviews, but I will right. say that we're over 100 reviews. 106 last time I checked. There's a few of you that just don't love us as much as we thought you would. <laughs> yeah. I anyway. know who you are, Mom. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you very much for all that. And uh, so we'll leave it with that. Adam, yeah. how can people reach you? Before I give my number, I'm just going to say, if, if today's episode is not a testament to buy land in Vancouver... Good Lord. Well, that's, you know, I don't think that was the, necessarily the, the uh, takeaway, <laughs> the point, the point of the conversation. But, but as I, as Braden and I drove away, I did say to Braden, man, if I'm not hot on my land in Vancouver right now, well, I mean, the investment potential is just light density is coming. It at is. Least. It is. So get those RS zone lots. Okay. So you can reach me at 778-866-4574 and Matt. 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. And Adam, you forgot yours. Uh, Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com or Braden, how can people reach you? Info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Or Braden at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Spell that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's oh, yeah, a Y. Right. Yeah, there's a Y. There's why a not? Y there. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you figure out where that Y is. Okay, guys. So stay tuned for Sunday's short and uh, we'll be back next week. Take care. Your faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419.
We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.